loving kindness is a practice, I think, very important in um, modern society because this is a this modern life tends to be based on like <coughs> criticisms and uh, examining what's wrong and so uh, I mean, most of us are educated and uh, culturally conditioned to 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 uh, think always in terms of what's wrong with something, with oneself or with America or with other people. And so, metta is a is a skillful means that it's like it's an all-embracing, it's, it's non-critical like your critical faculties are you, you compare, this is better than that and it's bigger and smaller, this is smaller and this is what I like and that's what I don't like I mean, that, that kind of uh, mental function we develop and uh, but metta is 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 non-discriminating. I mean, it, it's aware of, of differences, but it's making not uh, it's not uh, emphasizing what's wrong or that anything's better than anything else. It's an interesting way to develop uh, conscious experience, and it's not uh, it's not just a uh, a kind of refusing to look at what's wrong with anything. It's not denying uh, differences or qualities uh, being different, but it's it's the uh, practice of not uh, grasping, uh, not making a problem, not not dwelling on what's wrong. So that's why you can spread metta to the forces of evil or the or the you know the the enemy you can have metta for your enemy which means that the, the enemy still maybe wants to kill you but you're 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 not uh, developing uh, aversion you're not uh, you're not dwelling on that and then you're you will uh, say sending blessings or goodwill even to the enemy and to the forces of evil and so like the word love itself is a uh, is uh, important to to see how you want to define that word because it's used in so many different ways and it's a very powerful word in the English language and it's kind of maudlin and it's over worked as it tends to be, it's still a very powerful word. Uh, and it, and we, we need to, to know what we mean by it, because it, it, we, oftentimes we, we're not very clear in our thinking. So we can say we love something, which means that we, maybe we like something, 
Now, liking is uh, is a uh, you know what liking and disliking is uh, is one thing, isn't it? You don't like your enemies usually, and you don't like the forces of evil. So we're not we're not saying Mete is saying I like evil and I like my enemies because to like something means you have, you have to it has to have uh, you know something pleasing to you something that that, that appeals to you that attracts you and forces of evil or your enemies uh, or the ugly things or the meanness or the malicious forces or the the nastiness of the world is is uh, when, when impossible to like it but we can love uh, and this is uh, what we mean by metta so so metta is is not is being patient accepting not dwelling in aversion and this is something we can train ourselves to develop In uh, Christianity, they call it Christian love, isn't it? Where you love your enemies and so forth. I mean, in terms of Christian love, or uh, in, uh, I mean, they define it in terms of, or unconditional love. Uncondition, unconditional love is another term for it. But don't think of it, love in some kind of you know, grand emotion uh, of approving and liking because we can love that which we don't approve of and that which we don't like at all. And how do you do that? <laughs> One thing, by not uh, trying to curse it or, or send, bad, bi- bad, send uh, bad vibrations, <laughs> not trying to I mean, not murdering somebody who who hates you and wants to murder you is a form of love. And not uh, not dwelling in aversion, not even though you might feel averse, not cultivating uh, aversion and resentment toward that being or that person. So it's a patience, being patient. Uh, accepting means that accepting the way it is rather than it doesn't mean approving but accepting the forces of evil the way they are without saying I'll only accept you if you change your ways and and do and, and conduct yourself in the way I like then we're putting conditions on it I'll, I'll love you only when you make yourself likable to me, then it's, it's not unconditional. That's also a way of dealing with your own negativity. <coughs> the, the, the negative uh, emotions you have uh, that you don't like. And, and of course, not liking these emotions uh, means that we tend to, we, we do, we, we, we don't, we tend to blame ourselves or we, we, uh, 
make it into a problem. So, with metta is not dwelling in aversion, not hating, accepting and being patient with what we're feeling, which may be not very nice at all. So that's a good practice, to learn how to bear with, accept and be patient and not create aversion around the unpleasant things that you're feeling inside, your own bo- in your mind or in your body or the things around you. So metta is, uh, as we can see in metta practice, all beings, uh, seen, unseen, uh, all possibilities, of all types, all qualities. So it, this is, what does that do to your mind when you're, it's, it's the totality, isn't it? It's total. It's everything. You see where discrimination tends to, and criticism tends to, you pick and choose, and you, okay, this is good and that's bad, and you're dividing up everything uh, in a way that you, uh, you know, I like this and I don't like that. This is this is I approve of and this I don't. This is right and that's wrong. So. That's a, fun, that's a divisive function of the mind. I'm not criticizing that either. That's, we need to have that. But, it, but when that's our only way of, of relating, uh, then of course we suffer all the time because we have to share and live in a universe where, you know, a lot of it is we don't like. And it's unlikable. A lot of life is is uh, is not likable. Yeah. It's not just you. It's <laughs> 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 just the way it is. So just pointing out the difference between, say, discrimination, comparing, uh, weighing one thing against another, and this metta which is all-inclusive, a total acceptance, uh, unconditional love for everything, everyone. So this, this is when, when you train the mind with metta, then that that does that that changes your attitude. You, uh, you're, you find a way, say, of bearing with the unpleasant, the unwanted, the painful, the ugly, the evil, the mean, the nasty, the disgusting, all the rest of it. You can... <laughs> Otherwise, we're just caught in, uh, in being angry or, ups- or hating it or, or just avoiding or you know we get develop neurotic habits and you know all kinds of ways of just trying to to uh, say avoid looking at something bad or or feeling very threatened or feeling averse 
because uh, life presents us with things that are ugly and unfair and mean and nasty. And we create these things in our minds too, and we can, we can create pretty ugly emotions and thoughts. So in, in terms of metta, we always start with ourselves, uh, may I abide in well-being. So, so it's, it's, it's uh, this starting with this, we learning to accept the way you are and the conditions, uh, good or bad, that you're, you're experiencing emotionally or intellectually or physically, instinctually. And so it's, uh, it's sending goodwill to yourself. But this, uh, and this isn't just a sentimental uh, thing, but it's, uh, it, it work, it's working in a way that is, is, a, is quite subtle in, in learning to just be, not be self-critical, not to just uh, develop, uh, uh, you know, dwell on what's wrong. But even have patience and acceptance even towards those tendencies, your own critical tendencies. It works on, on every, in every subtle way. Like weaknesses or, or uh, cowardliness or uh, things that we hate ourselves for. Like say, if we're cowardly, then we hate ourselves for that. Or if we're um, jealous, and we hate our, we tend to uh, hate ourselves for being jealous, or feeling jealousy. Or, I mean, if we're if we're trying to be good people and and uh, moral and fair and just, and then we find ourselves, uh, you know, feeling. Uh, really mean and, and mean-hearted or jealous or we act in inferior ways we do bad things or say bad things and we then we can we hate ourselves for that so metta is is also rather than 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 dwelling and getting obsessed with this uh, self-hatred and self-criticism is it's up metta even for cowardice and jealousy and and uh, weakness and uh, stupidity and all these things we hate. Doesn't mean we like or improve, but it means we're not making a problem about it. We can we can we're 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 willing to accept those conditions for what they are. And so that, that I find a very helpful attitude uh, in my own practice over the years because uh, there was a tendency to, uh, to really, really get hard on myself, really really hate myself for 
were things that I felt I shouldn't shouldn't be. And so there's always a struggling trying to to get rid of things and trying to uh, and then the, the more you struggle and try to control, manipulate your mind and then you fall back in the same old patterns and then you hate yourself again and and, uh, and, and you just don't seem to get anywhere with it. So if, uh, so if, uh, if just hating yourself was some way to solve the problem, then that would be the thing to do, but it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't solve the problem, doesn't help, just makes you more miserable. Learning to accept others for what they are, that's another one. Accept oneself and accept others for what they are, with their warts, their pimples, their bad breath, <laughs> all the rest. That's a difficult one. <laughs> because we we sometimes we we. We want to change people, make them, you know, and there's this, there's this, and in many of us, a, a desire to, if somebody has bad habits and, and is irritating and frustrating us and that, we, we might, you know, want to help them by making it, by trying to get them to change, to act in a way that we, doesn't upset us. <laughs> But that seldom works, too. <laughs> so I mean, this metta doesn't mean approving. If somebody's got bad habits and and a really bad habit, not just you know, not just because they irritate us, because they they are bad habits. It, I mean, metta it means that we we're willing to accept that. You know, we, we, our love for them is unconditioned. It, uh, we aren't going to love them only if they change their bad habits. So this this helps us too. Then get some perspective on uh, how we we oftentimes you know we how how narrow-minded we can be and how uh, demanding we are of others. You know, like I I accept you only if you conduct yourself in a way that I approve of. And that you have to be worthy of my love. You have to prove yourself. My love is so great and so good that only <laughs> the very best are going to get it. <laughs> I'm such an important person that, that my love is really, you've got to really work hard to, to deserve it. Is that, it's very conceited, isn't it? Yet sometimes that's how we act, isn't it, you know, towards people other people. <clears throat> also, this helps you to expand your, your mind into like a totality, because metta is, a, is the totality, then it's universal. 
It has no limits, no boundaries on it. Or narrow-minded, you know, I only love you when you, when you're moral, when you practice hard, when you smile at me, when you act in the right way, when you're polite, uh, when you conduct yourself in a way that I ex- uh, approve of. And then, then of course, it's, uh, that's all the conditions I'm placing on you. And then, then I can only love you when you're doing all that. But as soon as you, once one misstep, and then, mm, <laughs> that's it. One mistake, one crossword, <laughs> one dirty look, and you've had it as well. So this, of course, takes patience to be able to bear with this, because we have to learn how to take things, how to take this, the bad stuff from other people and not hate them for it, how to, how to accept the, the rubbish, the refuse, the excrement that people throw at it. <laughs> without hating them, or hating the, re- the excrement. Now that's, that's a big order, isn't it? But yet we can do it with mindfulness, and with patience, and with the metta. <clears throat> and so in, uh, like Ajahn Chah used to say, uh, you have to look, make yourself into a, into a a rubbish tip into a into a garbage can. I'm trying to learn American words again. <laughs> into a garbage can. And then <laughs> they don't say that in England. Garbage can. <laughs> Make yourself into garbage disposal. <laughs> And he said it quite seriously, you know. And then, and first I thought, well, I don't want to be just, you know, I don't want people to dump their garbage into me. And you know, if you've got problems, and uh, it's you, don't don't dump it onto me. <laughs> was was how I used to feel. But then I can see that that mental state was, you know, don't don't dump your rubbish on me. Is is. Uh, it's still, you know, a, a selfish uh, reaction. You know, don't hurt me. Don't. I don't want to know. I don't want to have anything to do with your suffering or your problems. When I was a neighbor, we used to say, "Go tell the chaplain." <laughs> But then contemplating this is, is, uh, is uh, also I could see that there, that there was a, in myself a real fear of uh, 
that, and just not knowing how. And also there's a, a sense of I've got to defend myself against the world, I've got to protect myself. I've got to, you know, I've got to keep my guard up and keep all these enemies and these potential um, potential enemies or uh, that at a distance just to protect myself so that you know one becomes very frightened and uh, fearful of, of life and other people because people can hurt you people can dump their rubbish on you uh, people can hurt your feelings Pe people can offend you they can insult you they can wound you they can shatter you they can kill you so I mean we're we are very vulnerable we, we're in a state where we we can you know in a physically and emotionally uh, very vulnerable state but taking that vulnerability rather than as something to to uh, protect and to kind of keep a, build a fortress around yourself, the uh, the spiritual path is by open by allowing yourself to be totally vulnerable. And that's one reason why spiritual development is frightening because it it is like it's an act of faith and it's and it's taking down all the defenses and fortress walls and all that that you've built up over the years. But then the, 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 the miracle of it is when you're completely vulnerable, then you're also invulnerable. It means that, that you're, 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 you can, we can process the suffering of the world. It's like we can digest it and, and, uh, and we, can, we can take it, we can... Uh, transmute it. But we, we can't do, but if we're always in a state of, of defensiveness and protecting ourselves and fear and anxiety, then, then we make ourselves suffer all the time, even when they're, even with our friends, even when everything's all right. And that we're, we're, we still, uh, we're still stuck with a, a lot of fear and anxiety, anxiety about the possibilities. So this way, metta also is is uh, learning to trust and to experiment and willing to to feel the suffering of the world. That's why fe feeling your own suffering. Why well, keep saying, uh, reiterating this over and over again. Now I, don't be afraid to suffer. Uh, accept what you're feeling. Embrace it. I use this gesture. Embrace. <laughs> or like the the angry man that says, "I just made. I want to have a talk with you like that." And then. You feel it, you feel it in, and, and immediately the old, the condition reactions is, uh, I don't want to talk with you, I want to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Let me out of here. 
But then uh, uh, a determination, a, a deliberate will, uh, willing or determined, determining to accept this man's anger actually resolved the problem. It helped him and it helped me. We both benefited from it. He benefited and I benefited. So he dumped his anger onto me and I swallowed it and I became a stronger person. Uh, stronger and more trusting because I realized how to do it, how to, how to accept, how to take on something that before I would have rejected. So like in uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi was in his methods was also into this accepting the 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 beatings or the floggings or the injustices say at that time in India I mean the to try to to uh, expel the the British. Or the being looked down on as a black person, or or uh, being despised, or uh, all these things are is the rubbish, the garbage that that gets dumped on people. But it's also, say, to be something that that we can uh, use and we transmute it from being just uh, rubbish into. Uh, into uh, metta, more loving kindness, and of course, then we uh, we we become we're much more. Then we we become fearless individuals, and we know we can take it. Whatever happens to us, we can take it. Or the Christian example of a crucifixion, isn't it? Jesus crucified on the cross. It's a pretty horrible thing to do to anybody. And then they're making fun, jeering and insulting him. Put a crown of thorns on his head and king of the Jews, ha ha ha, look at you. A mean, nasty, uh, insulting, right? being naked on a cross and made fun of. I mean, <coughs> worst things that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> horrible and then uh, and then uh, the forgiveness isn't it he forgives them and, they, and he he doesn't uh, and he accepts what they're saying and surrenders to the to the cross so that's another that's a very powerful example in the Christian icon <laughs> Then there's a, in the in the Buddhist uh, suttas, the Buddhist says to his disciples, if the demons get you, and they start torturing you in the most horrible way, you can imagine, and you have one negative thought towards those demons, you are not a disciple of the Buddha. So imagine, I mean, you know, demons got you. Know, they're Red hot poker is going down your throat. 
pulling out your fingernails, <laughs> gouging out your eyeballs. <laughs> Horrible things going to every orifice of your body. <laughs> Pain, humiliation, and, you, and you're not supposed to have one negative thought. <laughs> well, these are extreme examples. <laughs> But, you know, and I don't think that, that any of us will be crucified or that hopefully none of us, we won't be tortured either. But in daily life, what do we do with the little things before they start sticking red-hot pokers down your throat? Just somebody uh, pushing you or somebody insulting you. What do you do with that? So, I mean, this, this is where we bring attention to the, to this, uh, uh, you know, in daily life, work on, on, the, on the things of the, 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 the daily irritations, daily life irritations, frustrations. The, the little bitty unfairnesses and, and exasperating experiences and lack of courtesy or disrespect or or insensitivity that people show towards us. It doesn't mean we're, we're putting on a nice face, a stiff upper lip kind of thing, but we're willing to feel the hurt of life, our own pain and the pain of somebody else. Last year we had, uh, we were building this temple in uh, England and so we, we had to uh, get permission to build this temple and when we, when we acquired Amravati ten years ago the, the council was, you know, implied that there would be no problem in, in building a temple. So when we applied we expected to get permission and then there were some people in the area that that objected, and so they had this campaign against us to refuse this building of the temple. So we had to go through kind of public relations uh, uh, exercises and trying to inform people, and still there's this kind of resistance by certain kind of entrenched Tory-type right-wing. <laughs> <laughs> You know the type. <laughs> anyway, they, uh, we had to go to an appeal, uh, which and and so I was to be one of the chief witnesses on this appeal. And this, uh, so this was something that I've never wanted to ever do. You know, I dread this kind of thing having going like legal, legal being a witness or anything in a legal case. And here I was asked to be the chief witness in this appeal. And so we, we had about uh, six, seven months to prepare our case. And so I noticed every time the word appeal came up, just the word appeal, which before didn't upset me in any way, <laughs> suddenly 
I, I feel this pain in my gut. I feel on each side, right down here in the abdomen, the physical pain. Just you say the word appeal and, and I get it. <laughs> And so then somebody say, you know, it's, uh, the appeal's in November and it's August. Uh, Feel this thing. Ajahn Tomato, would you, uh, do you have time today? We've got to prepare for this appeal again. <laughs> so I'd, I'd, I'd contemplate this, this pain, just the physical pain that I, I thought, well, that's, that's something quite easy because it's very physical. And, 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 it, and I didn't want to have to think about this appeal. I didn't like having to, to be a part of it or uh, involved with it, much less being the chief witness. But um, had to be done. And, and so I used this, this deliberately, taking the, the, you know, the pain I was feeling and, the, and, the, and, the, and, and every, trying to totally accept the situation, both their side, our side, everything about it, and uh, to use a uh, metta with it. And so, actually by the time the appeal came, you know, I, I didn't, that pain wasn't there. Actually, it didn't bother me at all to be a chief witness, but it was through, through a willingness to use a situation, both the physical pain, the emotional dread, and the, and also the metta for the uh, people who are the opposing side, which was also very difficult because some of them, uh, one felt quite indignant or felt very, uh, we'd been, we'd been, uh, you know, deeply offended and misunderstood and it was terribly unfair. But even that, we, we accept, you know, we, we're patient accepting of it learning to, to feel it, learning to feel that sense of it's unfair and, and accept that feeling rather than being caught up into hating and, and developing a hatred towards the people that are being unfair. So then metta is like patience, willing to endure, willing to bear with the pain of this realm. With meditation also, a lot comes up in your mind, doesn't it? Just a lot of memories and a lot of uh, unconscious emotions will start becoming conscious. And so like metta for that also means acceptance and patience, willing to, for them to be what they are without reacting as I want to get rid of them. I don't want these emotions. In monastic life, there, I can see like in a community, for example, in a monastic community, you have to live together quite, you know, day after day, month after month, year after year sometimes. 
and uh, and you accept whoever is willing to live under the discipline it's not a matter of whether you personally like them or find them easy to get on with or that you're your kind of people if they're willing to live under the discipline then you let them in you accept them so you, you have to live with people, some people that, that I found very uh, frustrating for me. Because uh, the way they react to things is very different, or they just have very irritating habits, or uh, they just bring up all kinds of emotions, and, and you think, I, if I were a lay person, I would never, if I could choose, I would never choose these people as my friends. <laughs> and uh, I, mean, I would have just, you know, ignored them if I had, but in the monastic life, you're just kind of stuck with them all. <laughs> so, you know, then I could see as a lay person, I was much more kind of picky and fussy and, and, uh, and I just kind of, you know, kind of selective and these and not those and and then uh, it was uh, because you can do that as a lay person you can you have your own home you can go and close the door you can uh, you can uh, shut people out but when you're in a monastery you you know we all belong in the monastery so also like Ajahn Chah would say I remember when when I became, when we established the Wat, Wat Banana Cha, uh, in that first year, I was, the, I was the abbot of that monastery, the first two years. And, uh, and, I, had, and I was just learning, because I'd never been an abbot of any, of any monastery, or even a proper teacher. And suddenly I was teaching, abbot, everything was, was on my shoulders. And I felt really burdened and, and ill at ease because uh, you, when you've never done these things, you just, you know, you're kind of fumbling around and oftentimes you, you don't do things very well at first. So, so then there was one monk that was giving me a really difficult time. Whatever I said, he'd go against it. Uh, and he, he'd get really angry with me. And one time I remember he was, I was reading, we were reading a Vinaya text, and I was reading a Vinaya text, and he had this, and it's supposed to be, you know, a monk, it, it's hot there, and there was no air conditioning, so they take the fan and, and kind, of, kind of, you know, fan you. So this monk was angry with me, and he was kind of like, like <laughs> And then he'd give me these blood-curdling looks. And, and I'd go back to my kuti at night, my little hut in the forest, and I'd, I'd have nightmares thinking <laughs> I could see him coming with a machete and cut my head off. So I went up to uh, see Ajahn Chah one day, and I was telling him about it. And, and so he said, uh, uh, he said, well, you know, this is your sharpening stone. Sharpening stone for his machete, maybe. <laughs> but this is your sharpening stone. He said, you have to have people like this to, to, for wisdom. You know, 
be grateful for them rather than than uh, just try to get rid of them. Because I used to think if this monk, if I can get rid of this monk, then it'll be all right. But that doesn't work. It's not a matter of of just getting rid of people that you can't get on with. But it's learning how to open wider, learn how to how to bend more, how to accept, how to how to work with life. Rather than trying to control it before I'd always tried to control everything. So that you know, another kind of way of getting getting by, getting through life through kind of manipulations and controlling situations and avoiding situations that I found uh, difficult. But this this was like being right in the middle of it where you, you there was no way I could you know I to control control the situation wouldn't wouldn't work. So I had to develop skillful means, had to expand, had to uh, use wisdom rather than just cleverness in dealing with the, the problems of communities. And there's metta practice then, is that this word loving-kindness Kindness is what? Being kind. And you can be kind to the, the nastiest people. Or learning to be kind even to annoying things like mosquitoes and flies, and slugs, things like that. Accepting. In Thailand was a good place to develop loving-kindness because you had to live with a lot of irritating uh, creatures like insects and, and uh, reptiles. <clears throat> I remember, because of bhikkhu, Buddhist monk, we can't kill animals of any sort, insects or reptiles, anything, we, we, we can't kill anything. So, and then in Thailand it's like a, an anthill, they've got ants everywhere and termites. So you've always got to learn how to cook, and mosquitoes, lots of mosquitoes. But all that, those, those ten years I spent in Thailand as a monk, was, this was before I understood what termites, how they operate, but, but they have these uh, termite migrations, a whole kind of hive or nest of termites will suddenly decide to migrate somewhere else. And so, and oftentimes if you're Kuti is in the way, is in the <laughs> way. then they, 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 they go, they cross the Kuti, you see. So, remember one night, I was very tired, and I came back to my Kuti, and the whole place was covered in termites. And I thought, oh, the termites are here, and they're going to eat my Kuti. <laughs> started uh, trying to sweep them out. I mean, they were everywhere. They were in the rafters and everything. And then their termites have soft little bodies, so that they, if you sweep them, they you can smash them. So, that didn't work, just trying to, to kind of clear them out. 
And uh, so the only thing to do was, if there's no sutta, I'll go sleep somewhere else. So I went to sleep somewhere else that night, thinking the next day, what am I going to do? They, they're in my kuti now. I had these visions that they would, you know, that termites eat wood and they would eat the whole kuti. <laughs> I wouldn't have any kuti. But the next morning I walked, went over there and there was not one in sight. And they were just passing by. <laughs> Probably just saying, hi, Tomato. <laughs> Here I was, you know, hating them and trying to figure out how to get rid of them. So not, not even appreciating a, a friendly uh, <laughs> But it's these, these kind of experiences, isn't it, that, that uh, we learn, these the, the gnats, the, the little uh, ticks, and the, and the uh, parasites, and the, and the uh, mosquitoes, and all the rest. You know, we can, the metta for these is, it, it helps us to just be more patient and, and more beautiful in our heart. Because I found myself a much a nicer person when I learned, when I started thinking how to coexist with, with the creatures on this planet rather than how to control this planet so that it doesn't irritate me. And there's something really awful about that, isn't there? Trying to make this planet into a place that doesn't, doesn't frustrate, irritate me or upset me in any way is... Is a, is a really selfish, uh, nasty uh, attitude. But then, uh, but how to coexist with everything on this planet? Say is is uh, helps us to because then we develop patience, patient endurance. That's something we can't get enough of to be patient and metta, unconditional love. And these are these are spiritual virtues, virtues that that enhance and and direct us toward spiritual realization. So, are there any questions? I think these teachings are very helpful. I think that they become very complicated in certain situations where, for example, a husband is beating his wife, a girl is being abused by her father. Patience and acceptance, things can escalate. Well, it's... um I mean, I can't speak for that because I've never, those things haven't happened to me, but uh, patience isn't a, isn't, a, isn't, isn't a kind of passive fatalism, but it's a, it's a positive uh, willing to bear with the suffering of who's beating you and, and your own suffering. So in that way, it, it, it's not just a kind of a tail between the legs 
cowardly feeling or just a kind of fatalistic resignation to misery, but it's a very positive thing. It speaks loudly. But it's not blaming and it's not resentful. Well, say, when somebody's being abused by a parent, then it tends to get, you know, a lot of fear and a lot of resentment. I mean, I mean, these, those are extreme situations. And, uh, and it would take a real saint to, you know, to put up with. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but it's also worth considering. Also, it can be, you know, you can, I mean, it doesn't mean that you can, you can, you, you can say, you can't say stop it or defend yourself. But the defense and the, the question isn't done out of, uh, you know, hatred, but out of love. You know, so that, I mean, when I've noticed uh, that, I mean, like, like, the world, uh, say the the ignorant world, operates on on a kind of on say on <coughs> on a conditioned process taking place, and and I I had this insight one time where uh, when I was a junior monk, there was a the monk he was he was just about a year or so senior to me in terms of being a monk, and he, he Thai monk. And he was, uh, you know, had a very kind of bad complexion, and he he was uh, not very good looking, and and uh, he he seemed to have no confidence, and uh, and he wasn't a very, you know, you could see he wasn't a very inspiring specimen, uh, and and so he tended, and I felt sorry for him, so I. I befriended him and, and uh, you talked with him and not many people would talk to him and things like this. So because he sat next to me, I, uh, I would uh, you know, take a special interest in him. And then one time, uh, we were standing outside the dining hall and, and he came up to me and, and he was kind of standing nearby and trying to get my attention. And I felt this incredible desire to kick him. <laughs> <laughs> and it was shock, shocked me that, that I would feel it, because intellectually I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to do that. But then I began to notice that the way he was standing and his body language was like he was cowering in a way. I don't think he, he knew it. He, it wasn't intentional, but he had a kind of cowering pose. And it brought up some kind of basic instinct, some kind of animal, more brutal instinct. <clears throat> so this is, you know, you can see just sometimes we trigger off things just through through, you know, he's probably beaten, I mean, I wouldn't surprise if he had been beaten as a, you know, abused as a child. But, but he also, 
tended to, you know, just the, the way, because of the conditioning process, then his, his attitude was also one of, that tended to bring that kind of reaction to him. Then, uh, and this is what conditioning is. I mean, it's, uh, it's just so, so uh, if you watch dogs, like, like in Thailand, the, uh, the uh, dogs, like we had, a, a member in one monastery, there was this dog that lived in the monastery, and in the morning, early morning, we, we monks would go out on alms round into the villages, and this dog just liked to come. But you see, when, when a dog, they have their own rules about uh, things, and so when a, they are territorial, so, so the village dogs, when they see my dog, they'd all start ganging up on him. But my dog was very clever. You know what he'd do? When the dogs would start running at him, he'd put his tail between his legs and cower, and then they'd leave him alone. <laughs> and then he'd cower through the village like this and then as soon as outside the village he'd be back and tear out the air and <laughs> on to the next one and, uh, he, he was, uh, knew how to operate in the dog world <laughs> well, that was just, just uh, the, uh, how dogs work you know how they how they uh, uh approach each other. So, I mean, and, and so uh, human beings aren't oftentimes any different. You know, we have the same kind of instincts as the animals and and uh, we oftentimes operate, you know, on that level too. But this is where, say, as, but we we have a choice. We don't, say, we, we, we can change that, you see. So this is why with, with meditation we actually trying to rise above those kind of uh, animal instincts. Not, not through aversion or to put them down, but to recognize that we, we, have a, we can operate on a higher level, on a finer level. So like metta is, is universal, it's divine, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's lifting us up to a higher level than just, say, survival of the fittest, or just the, the uh, games that, that, various, that one's learned to play in order to survive or get on in, in, a, in an ignorant society. Yeah? Um, I, I think that just culturally, um, women have very often taken on the role of garbage dumps, and that the notion, and that it's never been liberating, very few women would say it's been liberating or expanding or anything like that. And as I and I imagine other women consider what this teaching means, it's pretty um, tricky territory to think about how to um, rise above or, or how to feel metta and loving kindness toward uh, somebody's thinking. Um, and, and have a long history of that not being positive. I, I guess my point is I think that you're talking about something very different and more powerful, but 
find that territory very um, very risky in that it is easy to go into um, a, a feeling of unworthiness or a lot of a lot of dark things that are part of cultural conditions. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that that's a uh I mean, it's not, it's not a kind of, uh, it's not like being, like being, like well, what I think women have done is just kind of become fatalistic. And could you kind talk more of resigned to a, to a bad deal and that filled with resentment about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where this is, this is, is, is accepting both the, because you're aware of your own emotional reaction. You're not, you're not just trying to, oh, I've got to, you know, uh, it, it's not trying to be a martyr or, or, or just, uh, say, just try to, to ignore it or, or not feel. <coughs> But it's a it's a meta is like you know, this this universal, unconditioned love which applies to both your own feeling, like resentment. Like like I was telling you the other day about resentment, <coughs> having to work with resentment, and and it wasn't trying to get rid of it. I mean, or just being stiff upper lip and you know, don't be so silly tomato just you know get on with your life and bear with it kind of thing it was willing to uh, to fit to really admit the resentment and to listen to it and to accept it which is different than just say well you know life is tough just get on with it and keep going stiff upper lip grin and bear and the which is a kind of it's you know a, a fatalistic you know put on a smile even though inside you're you're really hurt which doesn't work <laughs> you know it leads to all kinds of physical and and emotional suffering but the thing to try to use it in a very simple way and not not to I mean, in some way when you're talking about a universe it sounds so grand but uh, working with it with just little things so you can kind of you know you can more you get confidence with it because like you can once you understand how to really do it then it then it's really wonderful and uh, not that you always can do it all the time but you're more you see how you see you can do that. Because also one needs to, you know, there's a, uh, accepting the rubbish from others, but there's also, you know, what we have, uh, we also need to let others know what they're doing and how it affects. So there needs to be a kind of mutual honesty. Some people will listen, others won't. But like in, in community life, for example, we try to, to
to have it, you know, so we can tell each other. We try to listen to each other. I found that helpful, trying to listen. Not just think I'm hearing because I, you know, I'm hearing with the words, but uh, listening that, because uh, sometimes people don't really mean what they're saying particularly. So you're trying to, to uh, you know, some people don't know how to express things very well. So they're saying something, but they don't quite mean that. So then, you know, I found out that I could get, I could, uh, you know, if I just took them too literally, I'd, I, I wouldn't understand what they were saying. I mean, I'd get it the wrong way, get the wrong message. <clears throat> so then this, this listening, like listening inwardly to yourself, you're just, it's just, it's just a, a listening, non, non-judging, but just willing to open your, your heart and listen uh, without feeling you have to solve the problem or make anything about it. Just listen, just hear, hear it. Or towards what's going on in your own mind. And then also to somebody else. Because I notice with, uh, you know, I tend to get reactive if somebody says something that react or, or <clears throat> you know, the, the, how they say it or the words they use, one can just react to it. <clears throat> or and and then you and then of course there's no you know it's just it, when you see people doing that I've watched people doing that and it's like they're not really listening to each other they're just like talking like this <laughs> because it's a uh, it's uh, pathetic yeah. and I've done that myself and so when you you see that it's a uh, you know, then listening is is a is a kind of opening, and not putting so much importance on the meaning of the words. Because sometimes we make you know, like if somebody says "I hate you," is that you know, you know oh, terrible? How can anyone say that to me? Because hate is an ugly word, but. But then when you listen, you know, you're, you're trying to to feel what they're saying more than just react to, to the word hate. So it, because that's not really what they mean. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, take it too literally, but it's, it's like, a, it's uh, something you can, you're, uh, you're accepting that, and you're, but you're not, you're not uh, taking it in, the, in a literal way. So then maybe you're open to what they're really trying to say, what they really want to say, or communicate, or what they're feeling. So like intuition is is that ability, I mean, if it's just on the level of words, then of course we just, you know, we just have to, you know, and, and people use words in different ways. So we don't always know what we're talking about, even though we're speaking English, we, we can have, I went to a conference once called Mystics and Scientists Conference, 
and they had they were I was one of the mystics <laughs> and they had about three scientists and it's interesting it two mystics one was a Jewish Kabbalist and then myself and then uh, these three scientists one was Charles Tart who's quite well known there and then it was interesting trying to talk about just the, the word consciousness because <clears throat> I mean we didn't define our terms before this conference before the seminar and so consciousness is a word and we think we understand but I mean it can mean so many different things to different people and so suddenly I realized none of us knew you know we all had our own definition so oftentimes we couldn't quite get what each other was saying because even with the word on the level of word we hadn't we hadn't defined our terms but intuition then is is getting behind the word to to be sensitive to the the feeling the, the mood the the other things because that's where intuitive awareness has this embracing quality it's a sensitive openness Whereas saying when you're just working on on reacting to what somebody says on logically then it it doesn't in, it require intuition it just means you know ability to to argue a point logically but when you're talking uh, when you're when you're say working on the emotional level or the spiritual plane then uh, psychic plane then that's uh, that's where the intuition is is necessary because if you're just operating if you're trying to be logical on that level you know it's not logical not supposed to be it's not Yes? Uh, just to continue on that, if you become convinced that somebody's dumping garbage on you, uh, how do you communicate that to them? Are there some skillful ways to you know, tell somebody they're dumping garbage on you? <laughs> right, you can, you know, you, want, you can say... <laughs> <laughs> to stop or or you can let them do it I mean it's up to you but if you think that it helps them to do that and you want to help them or maybe they just don't know what they're doing they just need to be told not to do it but it's you know it's, it's more an intuitive uh, response rather than uh, just a, react, uh, a, a reaction to aversion resentment the, the example you gave of uh, Gandhi it comes to mind because there there was an oppressor and a oppressed and, and yet and it did, did seem to work where I guess finally the the, the very the, the violence kind of just just ran out of steam
Right, and he, because he, he, his book, Experiments, My Experiments with Truth, <laughs> that was uh, inspiring me a lot when I was in the university. Because it was the experiment, just to find out what works. You know, and it doesn't, trying to be too idealistic about it or too, you know, high-minded and, and operating from, from, uh, from a lot of uh, ideals that might not work at all. But it is, like anything I say, is, is uh, for your own, you know, like suggestions and, and that for contemplation for, you know, that you can use or, or not, or experiment with. Like my experiment with accepting somebody's anger, I found that very helpful. Because before I was very, I couldn't accept somebody's anger. Or I couldn't accept criticism very well. If people wanted to criticize me, I, I, I'd, I'd take it too personally, I'd feel hurt. And I'd resent it. So when people wanted to criticize me, then they, then I'd give off these, these feelings, you know, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but, <laughs> you know, don't say anything that'll hurt me kind of feeling. Um, so people tended to, to not say things to criticize me because they didn't want to hurt me. So that's a kind of manipulative ability too. <coughs> But in, uh, then in, uh, with, with this meta-practice and, and, and experimenting, uh, I found out that I, I can take criticism. And when, when you're open towards criticism and towards uh, what, you know, uh, letting and, and uh, willing to to be honest and open and receptive to others, then, then you're working in a, it's a different dynamic. And the thing is, it's very liberating in itself. Yeah, some of what people are, 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 I think are asking about those, uh, meta is consistent with activism. I mean, I think Gandhi showed that. And in your own dealing with the right-wing Tory, <laughs> I mean, you all didn't accept the initial, you know, verdict. You appealed. And so I think if, if, if it were clear to people maybe that Meta is consistent at times with a, an incredible kind of activism, as long as, it, as long as that comes from or is done with Meta. I mean, Gandhi didn't hate people. I didn't hate the British or the Muslims or the right-wing Hindus, but nonetheless, he he actually not not only accepted things, he actually you know created movements and actions. Right. Well, his his uh, love was uh, concerned for their welfare. You know, he he wanted the best for the British. He didn't want to just you know get rid of the British. Uh, as a you know through aversion, so I mean it was it wasn't you know he wasn't just a kind of an anti colonialist 
terrorist at all, but his his movement was to try to do what needed to to bring into consciousness uh, the moral uh, obligations of people, and that that uh, trying to bring into the minds of the British, you know what what they're doing, and and, and uh, not to not out of vindictiveness, but out of metta or love, loving kindness. I mean, this is why, say, it is, it's, metta isn't just a, a, a rubbish, like a, a garbage bin, but uh, in, in a terms of, of, of uh, just a, a passive uh, receptacle that, or a doormat that anyone can just walk over, but it it's uh, it, it's much more uh, an act of love, in which uh, then the responses to situations become apparent. You know, you 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 have a when you're mindful, then you tend to uh, have a spontaneity and a an ability to respond appropriately to particular situations that you don't have if you're just caught in emotional reactiveness. So there's like, emotional reactiveness is just conditioned. So you say something and I say something back, we just react into each other. And uh, and then you criticize me and then I say, you can't criticize me, you, you, you do things worse than I do, I've seen you. <laughs> we were, you see that in the monastery, you 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 admonish some monk. And you say, well, I've seen you do worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a that's a reaction, but a response would be more like like you're taking in it. Maybe say say they're accusing you of something you haven't done, or they misunderstand. You and they're saying these insulting things, and then, then trust in your, you know, to feel it, to feel it, and to feel your own tendency to react to it. Then trust in in your own response to it, if it's not just coming out of out of a reaction, because then you're, there's wisdom in that moment. There's sati, there's mindfulness and wisdom, and and so that can be. You know, if if there is mindfulness wisdom, then there's the response can be very effective and helpful to both parties. That's where, like Gandhi, was exceptional in the fact of a uh, in the colonial times. Because you could make such a good case against uh, colonial oppressors, and they were like terrorists and movements in India that were terrorist uh, organizations that were wanting to just go and uh, kill off the British, you know, just to terrorize them. And Gandhi wouldn't have anything to do with that, because he wasn't anti-British or didn't want to. Just, and he, he knew that the answer for India wasn't just to get rid of the, wasn't just to get rid of them. 
but to uplift the whole moral tone and the and the, of the of the nation and of everyone involved, both the, the British and the Muslims and the Hindus and the, and the whole lot. Also, patience is is waiting for the right time. <clears throat> like I notice if I am impatient and somebody does something wrong or something uh, they shouldn't be doing and I get and I feel angry or annoyed with them and I say something out of anger and annoyance then it most of the time that isn't very effective because then they just they just say, Ajahn Sumato doesn't like me. Because they pick up my aversion to them. So, so I, I avoid, unless it's really necessary, but, uh, but avoid speaking when, when I'm feeling angry or feeling averse to somebody. And then bide my time, wait for an opening, you know, for the time and place to say something. And of course in a in a monastic community you're opening you're giving you're giving opportunities for things to be said. That so you're you're trying to create uh, ways of of talking and and, uh, and uh, dealing with each other in ways where we aren't just say being dysfunctional and just holding back and just you know or, or just blurting things out, just when as a reaction. But but uh, you're you're trying to to develop a way of living in which, say, issues can be addressed, and where we where we uh, and where the attitude of listening helps. Because sometimes people, if we just react, then we somebody says something and we just preach at them. Somebody says, I'm fed up with monastic life. I want to disrobe. How can you say that? <laughs> you realize, you know, you've been an alms mendicant, people are giving you alms food and we say all these things and we can give them a party line treatment. Make them feel terrible. And so then you, so then you, you try to listen to them, and uh, and then people start trusting, in in, uh, in you, and they're trusting in the in the community that they can say things like, like like one of the nuns told me, uh, she she was getting pretty. Uh, disillusion with monastic life and she was always could never admit it so she was always trying to say I love monastic life when she didn't and then she said one day she actually said told 
one of the senior monks, he hated being a non-being in the monastic life. <laughs> and then she began to like it again. <laughs> but it was like, you know, it was like, a, uh, I mean, that's why when somebody says, I hate, hate it, or I hate Buddhism, or that, it's not like a, a, that one, that that is the, you know, the permanent state of their mind, but, but it's, uh, that's why to, to react to that would be to, I mean, I hate Buddhism, I hate monastic life, I hate the monastery, and then, how can you, terrible thing to say, you should love, you should be full of loving kindness and all these wonderful things that people do for you, and then you, you preach at them, and then then it just, you know, that, that, then it makes them feel uh, put down. Where, when they were listening, then you're, then they can say the, the horrible things they're thinking. And that's the kind of, somehow, it helps to release that if we can say the horrible things we think to somebody else. People find that very liberating. Or like confessions or or uh, or saying saying things that where somebody will listen without giving them a lecture or without looking or hating them or resenting them for saying it. And that's why in the loving kindness that that why we can we help each other that way because something is very liberating when I say I hate I hate you, and then you, and you listen and you accept that, and you don't give a lecture about how they should be filled with loving kindness, and then, then they don't hate you anymore. <laughs> Do you find that, like, like having? I've noticed this in the mon monastery that that when when you let people say what they're thinking, then even if it is awful or terrible what they're thinking, if they can just say one other person, it tends to, and the other person accepts it and doesn't is willing to just listen and not 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 give them advice or not give them a, a sermon. That that seems to relieve the the tension that, that's building up in them. But we're all afraid we're going to get a sermon, aren't we? Say, I hate Buddhism. Oh, that you're going to go to hell for that. <laughs> <laughs> in one of the lowest hells, the ancient hell for eternity, <laughs> hating the Buddha. Or, uh, and most, and, and we all know the, 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 what we should do, like we should all forgive and love, and we, the, these kind of things we already know. But, uh, and so on the ideal of, of the ideal plane, we, 
I mean, most most people I know in the Buddhist world <coughs> are very idealistic, high-minded people. I mean, they've got they all you know want to be good and and the rest of it. So I mean, it's not like you're you're dealing with uh, you know low-minded brutes. Most of the I mean, like living in Britain now, 18 years. I've only, I've, I've never was in England before I was a monk. So I've lived in Britain only as a Buddhist monk. 18 years, I've, I've met, they, most of the people I've met are very good people. I've not met the very many bad people. Now, there must be bad people in England. <laughs> <laughs> Like there are everywhere else, but but it is that the life doesn't doesn't you know doesn't draw those kind of people to you, and so so that uh, and and I've never done anything very bad in England myself. <laughs> <laughs> so. It, <laughs> But this is uh, this is I think very important in in relationship, because people do talk about relationship a lot now, because we're hungry for relating to each other in an honest and open way, and uh, because we're lonely, you know, to be shut off in a world of yourself, and and that is a is a is a form of misery. So we, we want to relate, but say, one doesn't know how. I remember for a while it was confrontation, you know, where we're going to just confront each other. What's wrong with you is that you're like this, and then you say, well, what's wrong with you is you're like that. And, and then you kind of, you, have a, you, you, you confront each other with things, and then that can, uh, but you don't know how to really relate, you're merely kind of projecting your own views and feelings onto somebody else. And then uh, confessions and, and all kinds of ways of, of just uh, trying to, to be honest or say what you think or say what you feel. But that can be, you know, if I, if I told you everything I feel all the time, it would, you know, if, if we had to go around telling each other about all the bad thoughts, negative feelings we have, it would be just so depressing. <laughs> so, so that, that isn't, that doesn't work. But is one thing is, is, uh, say, with loving kindness, and then a willingness to listen, and to encourage the good qualities in somebody else, and not to, to kind of always point out their faults or what's wrong with them. So like confrontation tended to be like, I'm pointing out your faults, and then you point out my faults. So then we, 
we think that being honest is looking at each other, is pointing out each other's faults. Or admitting our own faults. We think honesty is also just admitting our own faults. You know, I have this problem and I'm like that kind of thing. But why is it that the faults, the weaknesses, we make such a big thing out of in ourselves and others? So that's why I was saying I don't go around pointing out people's faults. I mean, sometimes that's necessary, but generally I don't do that. Uh, and then also trying to encourage them toward the good. And then also being a friend so that listens. And that, and that, I found, that's not easy to do to always listen to somebody when they're saying things that, that, uh, that make your guts churn. But you can do it. And it also helps to, to relieve the, the build-up tensions and the resentments that one accumulates. I mean, like in a community life, if you don't bring these up, then, then there tends to be these underlying ghosts that hang around. There's things that you just never talk about. Issues you would never bring up. 